And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome one, welcome all to the J.C. and Sherbert Ball. It is another edition of your favorite college football podcast. The thousands of you that tune us in each and every week and still growing, we thank you ahead of time and we look forward to another fun installment. J.C., I was looking at the... Um, the length of time the last two weeks, and this is number 122 if you're scoring at home of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say that because there's an Atlanta uh, sports talk show that used to brag about that every time they came on. This is the 32nd, 127th episode. They just fired one of the co-hosts a few weeks ago. So that, oh. that streak, yeah, that, that streak definitely has come to an end. It's kind of hard to keep it going when, <laughs> uh, when you get replaced. Um, but, uh, but we, we, we're our own bosses here. So the only people replacing us is us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good thing about doing your own podcast. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a good working relationship with your employer because you are your employer. So that's what we do. But I, I noticed the last two, JC, we have gone long, like an hour 30 something, give or take. It's been our two longest in a while. And then I thought about it because I, I know some of these experts and we're not experts on the podcast world. We're just two guys that uh, follow and love and cover and broadcast college football and have uh, for a while. Uh, but, you know, we're, we, we don't proclaim to be the experts on podcasts. But some people tell you, well, the perfect time on a podcast is an hour. I've got other people that tell me, you know, they, they enjoy it so much they don't want it to stop. I know one thing when I'm watching a movie. If it's a really good movie, I don't complain if it's over three hours mm. because it's like Scorsese's notorious for that. And some people say, oh, you can't have people don't want to sit in a the movie theater for three and thir- three hours and 30 minutes. Well, first of all, nobody goes to a movie theater anymore. They watch it at home. And if you're watching this, po- if you're listening to this podcast, you might be jogging, you might be driving, you might, whatever. On the it's treadmill. People on the love treadmill. That cutting some uh, pre-Thanksgiving pounds that you're bound to put back on. Um, But, you know, the other thing I thought about, too, is we don't even notice how long we go because we just enjoy doing this. Like, we... We get it ramped up, and we're, you know we, we're we're aware of a clock, but we don't. It's it's not a hard and fast clock. I mean, I, going back to my days of talk radio, I mean, I had program directors. If you didn't take that first break thirteen minutes after the hour, they had all the stats. That means we're losing listeners when we come back to the competition. You got you got to be out in the first break at thirteen. Hard break thirteen. Come on, Mike. Uh, and, and everything is just so time sensitive. We, we're not living in that world right now. So we're going to just keep going. This might yeah. be anywhere between an hour, hour and a half. We don't know. I don't know. And I'll tell you this, you know, the, the last last week was with Lugs. And a lot of times when we do have a guest, we get yeah. the guest in and get the guest out. And then, you know, we're going to do our thing. So it almost right. ends up being kind of like two shows. But I, like most of the people I, I talk to, the feedback on this podcast is they listen to it while they're working out. And so mm-hmm. we go an extra 30, they're an extra 30 on the treadmill. So I That's feel right. like we're, we're helping people's lives, yeah, you know, by, by going extra. And um, so that was probably our longest episode last week. I know it felt like it recording it. Um, not that I was had a problem with that or anything, but, uh, and it's our next to the episode we did before the opening weekend of the sec, Mike, our mm-hmm. second highest listener rate 
that we've had so far this season. So, yeah, obviously that's not driving people away. You know, no. if we go a little long. And one of our other longest ones was definitely what we were way into the thousands on this one was the the Tennessee coaching search. Oh yeah, gosh. Uh, people could not get enough of that, and I know we went long with it. Uh, but not just Tennessee fans. I, I think if you weren't a Tennessee fan, you really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> it just magical theater that you were not looking away. You were rubbernecking that accident the entire way. So uh, you never know. And, and like you said, Luke and Bill, great. The, the thing about the guests that we've had, Luke and Bill, and uh, um, I almost said Stuart Mandel, which I did not mean to say, uh, Andy Tim, Staples. Tim Brando, Andy Staples. Tim Brando. Cole, I mean, you know, you know, I, I, I know these guys, you know, these guys uh, had a relationship with them and, and cross paths. And I always say, look, we, we, we're not going to keep you more than 15, 20 minutes. And I mean that, but they enjoy talking to two people that actually love and know college football. So sometimes they don't want to get off the line. Like they're, they're in no hurry. And to me, that's the best kind of interview you can have when you're just it's not scripted and you're not sitting there looking at a clock and you're not worried about getting to a commercial break however long it goes is however long it goes i've said for a while now whether or not you care about anything else he does on his show howard stern is the best interviewer in broadcasting uh for whatever reason people open up to him and the other thing is he doesn't have a clock. He's got his own satellite radio show, and he pretty much does whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> so, <laughs> if, so if the guest is good and they're having a good time, they'll be on there, you know, an hour and a half. Uh, God bless them. So uh, that's that's my little preamble because I noticed the uh, the time of the last one. I said, "Wow, did we really go that long?" And I said, "You know what? I have never heard anybody complain to me about the length of our podcast. Uh, if anything, sometimes they'd, they'd like a little more of it. And gosh knows if we miss a week, we do hear about that. And, and I don't mind that either. That means that you're enjoying it. If you're pissed off that we missed a week, then that means you're enjoying what we're doing. Okay. Let's get to it. Um, there's a number of different ways, uh, different places, different uh, spots to start at, but I think it, you'd be ill-advised to not start with the game of the week. And some anticipated it could be the game of the year, and that was Georgia-Alabama. Uh, just some, some thoughts on that game uh, from me. Number one that stands out, Mac Jones is more legit than I think most people projected. You correct me if I'm wrong, JC, but I read this somewhere. Mac Jones was approximately the number 400 overall prospect, a three-star by some lists, maybe not yours, to 24-7, maybe another, one of your rival ones. Uh, the lowest-rated quarterback prospect for Saban since Jacob Coker, uh, and now he's a Heisman candidate. Is, is that right? Was he that much under the rate? He was a Bowles kid, right, Jacksonville yeah. Bowles? Number, yeah, Jacksonville Bowles, home of, uh, home of Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones. You know, we know. And being he was a great Florida, football player, by the way. Yeah, you know the Bowles school. Um, yeah. They, uh, he, uh, 6'2", 180-pounder, you know, looked good. Um, you know, when you saw him at a camp, but a smaller guy, you know, not the guy you look at and go, Oh, first round draft pick, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, his recruitment didn't necessarily pick up. I tell you who else liked him and who else liked him late. And this is kind of an underrated thing, uh, cause he was committed to Kentucky, uh, is Texas A&M. 
Texas A&M um, liked him uh, huh. and, and offered him late. Um, and he was committed to Kentucky until June 7th of 2016. June 7th of 2016, he committed to Alabama <laughs> and um, stayed committed to Alabama. You know who else offered him late was Baylor and Matt Rule. That guy can coach a little bit. Um, and he's just worked hard. And, and look, you know, he's a guy, you know, and, and I know you and I both know Greg McElroy. Um, I covered his recruitment. He was one of the first quarterback. I remember Greg McElroy's dad used to get on the phone with me. I don't understand why he's not getting more offers. And finally, mm-hmm. Mike, Mike Shula finally offered him and he went to Bama um, and then started and all that. And I, I know we've seen guys like that. Um, even a guy like A.J. McCarron that had the quote unquote pro size. You mentioned Jacob Coker. A lot of these guys that were game manager types, you know, Blake Sims could do a lot with his legs, but still a guy that may, you know, they, they weren't running what they're running now. Um, and I think with Mac Jones, you know, he's grown an inch. It takes a little bit more of a skill set to do what they're doing with the reads and the RPO game and distributing the ball. Uh, I thought last year, you know, that game against the Auburn and the Iron Bowl, nobody wants to remember it, right? Because it was a bunch of pick sixes and they lost. But I think that helped him grow. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and he's a tough kid and you know, shoot, shoot, just like Steve Spurrier says. When James Bates does Steve Spurrier's voice, shoot. Um, you know, this kid's good, and he's, you know, he's got a little Danny Werfel in him, but probably a stronger arm. Oh, I, definitely I, a stronger if, arm. If I had to compare the two in terms of guys that make the right decision and right read, he's Danny Werfel, but he's got a much better, you know, str- Danny probably couldn't hit the, you know, break a pane of glass with the throw. Yeah. Danny but, had an awkward release. He yeah. always put it on the money, but he had yeah. an awkward, slow release with not a whole lot of zip kind of lobbed it. This kid's got more of a rifle. Yeah. Watching him run the show it, it, it is a thing of beauty and and quarterbacks that can do that these days, Mike in college football, because NFL offenses have become more, sophisticated and RPO wise. And they're doing a lot of different things at the pro level, really maybe for the first time in a long time, you see a more, you know, diverse variety of play calling and offensive schemes at the pro, maybe than at the college level these days, they're much more complex. You know, you have to have a guy that can go out there and do this. Um, And so I think he set himself up not only to win a lot of games at Alabama, but to, to go go forth and, you know, be a, be a, an outstanding quarterback at the pro level as well. I think he's going to have that opportunity. There, there's two guys that have rocketed up draft boards from that position. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to the, we'll get more in depth on the other one, but the other one, Zach Wilson uh, of BYU, who certainly is, is going to be a draft pick and maybe a high one if he decides to go out early, uh, this year the other thing that stood out to me of course, we know Alabama's receivers okay I can't remember the last time Alabama as a team as a program did not have the best receiving core in the country it seems like every year you just book it you are looking across the field on one side first rounder on the other side first rounder they've had first round tight ends in the past um, of course they've always got <laughs> running backs are, are dropping in the NFL draft because you just see like an Ezekiel Elliott and you realize you're not getting banged for your buck on that second contract. Uh, the, the exception to that rule, of course, is Derek Henry who played for Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's who some people compared uh, Najee to, but, uh, but he he's, if he's not a first round pick, they're running back. Najee Harris is, is 
worthy of such a distinction, but they, but they've always got elite wide receivers. So, and I can't remember the last time I said an Alabama team was really dominated. Uh, Their offensive line just couldn't, they couldn't man up. They couldn't get a push. They couldn't protect the passer. Even on a so-called off year where they lose a lot of veterans, they just, they just, let's face it, they reload, but they've always got an advantage and Georgia is a stout defense, and I'm not backing off that. I still think Georgia, that defense is very, very good. However, when you've got Alabama humming, and I've said this a number of times over the last few years, the most elite defense in college football, when you face an elite offense in college football, you can still give up 40 on any given week, yeah. and we've seen it before. We've seen Nick Saban's defense give up 40 to, to Dabo and Clemson, and we just saw uh, Mark Richt and that Georgia defense, which is full of NFL guys. And if you watch that game, it's not like they were out-athleted. They're flying all over the field. They're big and stout on their line. They're fast in the secondary. Now, they made some mistakes, but Alabama is just that good. So I know everyone's going to crap on Georgia. Uh, around here in Atlanta, it's the same thing. Uh, Kirby Smart's good, but heck, we didn't fire Mark Richt to, to not beat Alabama. Uh, pump the brakes on that. He's led three times now at the half against the Crimson Tide. If you include the national championship game, the SEC championship game, and this game, they had 24 points at the half. People are crapping all over Stetson Bennett. I mean, I'm not saying he's an All-American, but he wasn't that bad. He's hitting, He made some mistakes. There's no doubt. He also led that offense to a 24-point first half and made some key throws in the game. This is just a case uh, to me, and they might have a rematch in December in Atlanta, but as good as Georgia is, they're not Alabama. And, and Alabama this year is without question the team to beat in the Southeastern conference. Those were just some of the takeaways that I got watching that game. I I don't know. I mean, Georgia as talented as they are, you stack up their wide receivers to Alabama's and it's not close. And that to me, that was the biggest, the most glaring difference in the game in terms of personnel. Yeah. You can blame this on Hugh freeze. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know where you're going with this. I'll tell you where I'm going. Like, I know, you know, so, so Hugh Freeze and Dan Werner, and when they had Swag Kelly and, and, and some of those guys, you know, they made a habit of beating Bama a couple of years. Bo ago. Wallace, Bo Wallace, and you know, at the time, Bama was having trouble stopping these tempo offenses, and, and I think you, you still have trouble stopping offenses that are good. Like you said, you have the best defense in the country, but you play a really good explosive offense, you're going to give up forty. So you have to. So if you want to win. You got to kind of gear yourself toward okay. Well, when the day comes that we're going to play a team that's going to inevitably put forty on us, no matter how we give our on defense, you have to be able to match that. And Georgia's personnel just can't match it, and it's not all on Stetson Bennett. You know, there's not a running back. The Georgia's running backs are good. Zamir Wright's good. Cook is good. They're not Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle right now. You know, uh, Georgia's offensive line is good. They're probably a tick worse than they were last year when they were probably the best offensive line in football. They, they don't have the personnel uh, to be explosive and to, to win a track meet with Bama. And, and look, you can, you can win like Georgia wants to win 90% of the time. Don't get me wrong. 
But inevitably, you're going to run up against a team that does that. Now, Nick Saban figures this out about three, four years ago, okay, <laughs> when he brought Kiffin in and Kiffin started doing some different things and they started Hurts at quarterback and went with more of a dual-threat guy there. And then they started running all these RPOs and things like that. And Saban evolved. Um, and 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 be bet your bottom dollar, a game like that old Miss game the other day drives him insane. but you know what they didn't lose to Ole Miss because they have the firepower to match it and and that's just where the game is right now you know it's not the SEC Mike I don't think is ever going to be like the Big 12 where every single game is in the 40s and 50s but I do think that there are times with with the talent that's in this league and the offensive schemes that places like Alabama and really LSU you know, is LSU's running a modified version of the air raid offense, folks, you know, and not, nobody could stop them last year either. You know, you're going to run into that team where it doesn't matter how good you are on defense, they're going to score some points and you better be able to match it uh, with your offense. And, and, and I think that's what, you know, Georgia has to do. Georgia hasn't been really good on offense, Mike, since maybe 2014. You know, we're looking about six years now where, on offense, Georgia's just kind of been so sad. Now, I'll give the, the team that played for the national title, they had enough in them to outscore Oklahoma. And they, they did have, with those two backs, a pretty good offense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, they, they haven't been really explosive where they can go win a track meet against somebody that actually does play some defense. Um, you know, well, for What's a, the common denominator in that? Well, they, they just they had a coaching change. I think that when you, the, looked at, you looked the at the common what, denominator is Kirby. They've had it three different true. coordinators in three years. You Tell see me, yeah, going? Since 2016, yeah. And it's, you know, you, you can't win like Nick Saban used to win. You need to go win like Nick Saban is winning. Um, and, you know, hey, that's why LSU beat them last year, beat Alabama last year. And that's why Auburn is able to give them trouble because Auburn has no problems going and playing a game like that. You know, and they haven't for years. That's kind of been Malzahn's M.O., um, you know, so that's if I'm Georgia, that's what I'm looking at. Is Todd Monken the answer? Do we need to do something even more dramatic? You know, uh, what, what uh, you know, is Kirby meddling with the offense and trying to, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is there. Uh, but eventually, like I said, you know, you can do all you want and be as great on defense as you want, but you're going to run into that team and it's starting to happen every year in the SEC that inevitably is going to be able to outscore you. Yeah, I, I we had uh, our buddy Jeff Dancer on from, from Georgia Radio Network in the offseason. He was a little uh, defensive when I when I brought up, you know, the offense the last couple of years, and, and he pointed out the, the injuries to the receiving core, which was fair. Um but I, I and they look they've opened it up some under Munkin. I mean, this is this is a different looking offense. But uh, but for the most part, yeah, it, they're they're healthy now at wide receiver. They're healthy at running back. They're healthy on the line. But when you start talking about Pickens, Burton, Cook, and you stack them up, uh, who am I forgetting? Jackson. You stack them up with Smith, Waddle, and and Mechie. And there's just not going to be a trio in the country that are going to touch those three. And as good as Georgia's defense is, Alabama is not going to get manhandled on the line against anybody. So Mac's going to have some time to throw, and he's got a strong arm, 
and he's got receivers that are going to run open at some point. And that happened. Georgia's defense to me is still nasty, but on that particular day against that particular offense, at times they got, they got overmatched. And Steve Sarkeesian has hit the sweet spot as a play caller, Mike. Mm -hmm. He's, he's always been good, but you know, these RPO, and what an RPO is, is a run pass option where, you know, the quarterback basically, and this is what Mac Jones is good at. He makes a read and, He's either handing it to Harris or he's chunking it down to to those fast receivers. And how do you stop that when, when you got when the quarterback's in the zone, the play caller's in the zone? You got elite electric fast receivers, uh, including a guy in Devontae Smith that seems like he's been there for twenty eight years. Does feel um, like that, you know? And, and then if if you stop all that, Najee Harris is going to run it up your behunkus. I mean. I don't know how you stop that. And, and and I just have to give Nick Saban the credit. I mean, everybody knows Nick Saban's a defensive coach. He's got, uh, you know, for probably forgotten more about defensive football than any, any of us will ever know. But give that guy credit for, for kind of looking down the road and saying, hey, we want to keep this thing rolling here. Uh, we're going to have to do something different on offense. And, and, and give him credit for doing that, man, because I, I think a lot of people maybe think that he – you know, is kind of a stubborn guy and setting his ways and all that. But that what he's doing now and what Sarkeesian's doing, it, it's sort of revolutionary and it's very, very difficult to stop no matter how good you're on defense. No question. No question about that. So now we, we await if there's going to be a rematch. Uh, Georgia still appears to be, to me, the class of the Eastern Division, certainly the most complete team. Um, you know, Florida's got a breakout of covid they're scheduled to play Missouri uh, the weekend of Halloween, and we'll learn more if, if Florida has been able to right the ship, although that's going to be hard to do when you're basically unable to practice during this time off. So we'll see how that goes. But I, I would not be surprised in the least if we saw a rematch come December. Uh, some other games that happened, Kentucky and Tennessee. Kentucky had not beaten Tennessee in Knoxville since the Reagan administration. Or the first one, if I'm not mistaken, right? 84? Is that the year? Uh, yeah, in Knoxville, absolutely. Yeah. 1984. The, 1984. The, uh, that was the Reagan's re-election bid against uh, Walter Mondale. Walter Mondale, yeah. And he, uh, some great movies came out that year. Karate Kid certainly has to be near the top of the list when you're talking about great movies. And In 1984, great songs came out that year. It's a good year. It's a good year. Yeah, um, Gremlins, Ghostbusters, Amadeus, A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Karate Kid. There we go. Gremlins and Ghostbusters alone, man. Good God. Blame Star- on Rio, another classic. Uh, Demi Moore, anybody? The never-ending story. <laughs> the never-ending story. Are you kidding me? The natural. Yeah. Dune and Starman, which are two movies I could care less about, although I feel bad Jeff Bridges has cancer. He was uh he was oh, uh, on another that. note. Yeah, that dying lymph lymphoma this week. Oh, against all odds. Where they use actual USFL footage because <laughs> uh Bridges played a wide receiver. Yeah. Ah and Alex Karras was in that movie. He was well, a coach. I, I got more, brother. I got more. Yeah. Okay. Beverly Hills cop. Oh, see, there we go. 16 Candles. 16 Candles to me was the movie of 1984. Police Academy, The Terminator, Splash, Body Double, and The Woman in Red. And Friday the 13th. 
The I final mean, chapter. these are movies that would never get made today because there's no aliens and nobody's wearing like a cape. There's more. Purple more. Rain. <laughs> Purple Rain, yeah. I mean, Purple let, Rain. You know, let's go crazy. Romancing the, best the songs of 84. Romancing the Stone. Uh-huh. The Cotton Club Bachelor Party. Um, <laughs> and uh, The Toxic Avenger. I don't know. I missed that one. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how I've watched the Toxic Avenger at some point. <laughs> that that uh, sounds a little bit. That sounds like a Cin- Cinemax eleven thirty on a Friday night type screen. Straight to video. I yeah, think. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, eighty four was a heck of a heck of a movie year, and that's the last time. That I, and look, I, I'm, I'll I'll tell you this with this Kentucky game, I didn't see it coming. I, I did not. I, I, maybe I saw it coming. Okay, because I was nervous about picking that one. I was like. I'm basically picking Tennessee because Tennessee never loses to Kentucky. Uh, but they got run in the second half against Georgia. They can't be feeling great. And here comes this Kentucky team that's just pesky as hell. You know, excuse my language, that's the best way to describe Kentucky. They're pesky. And if you're down, you can't you, you can't play a team like that well, Mike. And and so I'm wanting to pick Kentucky, but I'm like, well, but Tennessee never loses to them. Yeah. And uh, and sure enough. They not only beat them, they beat the crud out of them. I mean, just, you know, mauled them on the scoreboard. I mean, the actual game itself was not, you know, statistically it was just about even. But I was stunned that Tennessee just did not show up. I think Jarrett Garantano has now gone back to being bad Jarrett Garantano. He was awful. And so, yeah, just terrible. You throw two pick sixes for that many yards, and, you know, it's over before it started. Um, and, and then Jeremy Pruitt goes and fires his defensive line coach. Yeah, I'm like, wow, you know, so, so Tennessee's got issues, man. They're back down to, to earth now after winning all those games in a row. And it's not a good time to have these issues because Alabama's coming to town. Yeah. And, uh, some of the fans clamoring for Harrison Bailey, the, uh, freshman from Marietta to, to, to play some cue because I mean Garantano's in his last year they play Alabama uh, next so maybe you just I, you can't ask a freshman to make his debut against Alabama so maybe throw Garantano out there and let him get smoked again and and then just turn the page on that I, I've I've rooted for for Garantano in some ways because I like a good uh, comeback story and it seems like he's had about five of them in his career in Knoxville, but they're the kind of mistakes he made are just, and in going back, even the game before that against Georgia, these are the kind of mistakes that you don't expect a senior quarterback to make. That, that, that it's just a problem. It's a problem. So Tennessee, uh, that, that whole Tennessee's back, hear me roar, Jeremy, Jeremy Pruitt, what a great hire. I mean, all that now just – it can happen so quickly, mm-hmm. especially in the SEC. The, the bandwagon quickly turns into a firestorm based on about one or two results. That's how quickly it happens, and that's what's going to be going down in Knoxville for the, maybe potentially the rest of the year. Oh, listen to this too, Mike. I mean, so they got Alabama this weekend, right? Then you got to turn around, and everybody was celebrating this uh, like it was an advantage, right? And they got to go to Arkansas. <laughs> I don't know. I'd say that's at least a toss up right now. Then yeah. Texas A&M comes to Knoxville. Then they got to go at Auburn. 
Uh, then it's at Vanderbilt, and then they play Florida to close the season. I mean, Tennessee could be four and six or three and seven. And that South Carolina game now is looking more like an upset. When you need your – You know, in yeah, my opinion. I, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. No, it, it's – it is a rough stretch. Um, there's there's no question about that. Um, and uh, you just you just wonder where that's going to go. But for Kentucky, I don't want to lose sight of the the other side of this story. And that is, a lot of people were ready to write Kentucky off, like oh maybe they're just going to go back to being Kentucky. But uh, you know, if if they don't have a running back that decides to showboat a touchdown before he ever gets near the goal line they probably beat Ole Miss and their season takes on a different trajectory at that point. Uh, they're, they're, they're still, I still love the overall health of that program under coach Stoops. And, and I, are they a great offensive team? No, but they're good enough combined with defense combined with good coaching where Kentucky's just not an easy out. So give the Wildcats credit. You know, they, 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 they were da- kind of down, and a lot of people were certainly counting them out. And you could see where they were going to be on everybody's most disappointing list for the SEC this year. And then all of a sudden, they pull that off and and absolutely romp the Vols in Knoxville. So good yeah. for Coach Stoops and company. And, and those fans in Kentucky, those football fans, and there are more of them than people think. That's a big win because you know that's a that's a border rivalry game in Tennessee. Personal has just rubbed their nose in it over the years. And winning like that's got to be big for them. And that, that's sort of if – I'm, if I'm a Kentucky guy, that erases the loss to Ole Miss because you, you didn't really expect it. You know, you're like, well, we expected to beat Ole Miss, maybe not at Tennessee. They got to go to Missouri this weekend and then a big one at home in Lexington against Georgia. Georgia and Kentucky are playing defense. You know, they're not – they're hitting all these teams in the league that are playing great defense right now. Kentucky and Georgia are two of them. So – uh, I think the schedule sets up well for them until the end of November when they go to Alabama and Florida on back-to-back weekends. That that may not be too fun, but, um, you know, I, I think, you know, for the foreseeable future here, Kentucky could really kind of get on get on track. You know who else is playing defense? Arkansas. Dude. How about them Razorbacks? Man, I, I sent a tweet out on Sunday. The revival has happened. The pit boss. They should be three and one. They should be. Mm. They should be 33-21 over Ole Miss. Think about this. In that game, and you know, the talk going in was the resurgence of Matt Corral, who was playing as well as any quarterback in the league, if not the country at, at one point. Um, Lane Kiffin, swag, Ole Miss, the sun, all that good stuff. And Arkansas, that defense picks off Corral, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, six times. You know how many picks Arkansas as a team had last year in 12 games? I give up five. (laughs) (laughs) They had more in that game than they had all last year. And three of them were by a walk-on. Who has like two lines on his on his bio in the media guide? It, it was just like redshirted freshman year, sophomore year, uh, declaring it a no fly zone. Yeah, I mean, look, like, definitely. You know <laughs> the, the no. I mean, but man, Mike, Mike, Ole Miss didn't even play that bad on defense. Their run defense was not terrible. 
Uh, they they couldn't stop you know Traylon Burks catching the ball, but uh, uh, Arkansas shut them out at the half. They held Ole Miss scoreless for a half. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I always said this. You know, when when they hired Kendall Browse as their OC and they hired Barry Odom as his DC, you know. The pit boss, I mean, that head coaching hire wasn't going to be inspirational or met with the hype of a Mike Leach or a Lane Kiffin. But but Mike, guess who's 2-0 and against Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin? Yeah. And guess who shut both those teams down when it looked like coming in that wasn't going to happen? It's the Arkansas Razorbacks. Barry Odom may have been a C-plus head coach at Missouri. Uh, and you've you covered plenty of his games when he was the mm-hmm. head coach out there. But the guy is an A plus defensive coordinator. When I remember when he was at Memphis under Justin Fuente, you know Memphis could get some skill guys on offense, and and you know they Fuente'd go find offensive players. But getting playing defense at Memphis is hard. It's hard, you know, because you're in a league where they score all the time, and you know you just don't get the players. They one of the best defenses in the country at Memphis. At Memphis, so I'm a believer in Barry. <laughs> Barry Odom. You big, love you some Barry Odom. The and, big and B.O., yeah, as a coordinator. Big B.O. <laughs> I mean, he, as a coordinator at Arkansas, he, he's done well. And then Kendall Bryles and Felipe Franks and, you know, Chad Morris did leave some guys at receiver and running back and, you know, some skill talent. They're doing well enough. And all of a sudden the Hogs are 2-2 two and two and should be 3-1. and one. You know, Barry – you know, I've said this many times, like with, uh, to, to to bore people with the behind the scenes stuff. But when we do, we're do, we're doing a game on TV. We we come in a day or two before, and Friday is the day we get together at the stadium with all the uh, the coaches, so the head coach, the coordinators, some players, and and did that a few times with Barry Odom. And, and Barry is just he is not going to overwhelm you with personality. He's just not going to do it. I mean, he is a nuts and bolts guy to the extreme. And maybe that, that doesn't necessarily work for a program that needs a little joke. Like with Drinkwitz now, they've got this guy who's, uh, he's energetic. He does 10,000 talk shows a week and he's fun and he can raise money. And that's just not Barry Odom's thing. Uh, But very often those personalities that are so subdued and, uh, not exactly going to going to win the press conference. They're great coordinators. It's like it's like going inside a beautiful mind. You know, you can mm-hmm. just see you, you look at their face and you don't really see like two eyes and nose and a mouth. You just see X's and O's just rotating in a circle uh, around the atmosphere with planets and all kinds of and numbers and and that's kind of what you see with a lot of the, the good coordinators. Barry has found his niche. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I know the head coach makes more money and it's a more glamorous job and everybody's goal is to ultimately be that. But uh, just ask uh, Coach Venables over there, Clemson. Yeah. It ain't that bad a deal if you can be a dominating coordinator at the Power Five level. Um, that was one of the things that I would take away. And, I, and I, to expand on your point, let's be honest about this. When the four SEC coaching jobs became open and then the hires were made. Everybody was obsessed with Kiffin and the pirate, right? I mean, you couldn't find a soul to say that was not a good grab for either one of those programams. Sam Sam Pittman got no pub. 
It, well, I, that's that's where I'm getting. I mean, even Kiffin, who I, I mentioned that quote last week from uh, the article, he's gone from Golden Boy, entitled Brad, Glorious Failure, Pariah. Uh, but but for whatever reason, a dip into the fountain of of Boca Raton coaching FAU lane became likable and good again. And obviously did some good things as the OC at Bama. And so everybody loved that hire. How could you not like, but we've been begging for Mike Leach in the SEC for years. So everybody loved that hire and Eli Drinkwitz. I think a lot of people are like, well, I mean, he, he did win games at App State. Um, it's, it's not a, it's not a home run hire necessarily, but I could see that. Uh, why not? Yeah, I'll support that. I'll sign off on that hire. And then came Sam Pittman. And this was the very definition of a yeah, whatever hire. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you weren't an Arkansas fan, and I, and I guarantee if we went back and listened to uh, who's our boy that used to do the show there, unfortunately, he's not on the air anymore. Uh, uh, Bear, uh, Bo. Used Bo to love Mattingly. going on his show. Was it Matt Bo Mattingly? Bo Mattingly, yeah, Bo. Bo. Mattingly. Um, I think Bo was maybe he was off the air by then, but whoever was doing a show over there in lovely uh, Northwest Arkansas, over there in the Ozarks, I'm sure there are a lot of people going, Sam, who? He never even been a coordinator. I don't know why I'd pick that voice, but I just like to get you. You do voices all the time. It's time for me to start breaking into some impersonations. That's pretty good. That's pretty different. Good. He ain't even been no coordinator. I never called no plays. Ain't he ain't no call no, no plays. plays. He, well, he coached a high school team as a head coach. He, how is he qualified to coach an SEC school? It was the ultimate. Yeah, for, for everybody outside of Arkansas, there's like, pff, yeah, whatever. They're going to stink again. They've lost. 18, 20 in a row, they're going to lose another 20 in a row. It's mm-hmm. Arkansas. Who cares? Blah, blah. That's what that hire registered as. And not only is he far and away your leader for SEC Coach of the Year, you could make a strong case for National Coach of the Year. Now, it's early. It's early. The pit boss could have a rough second half. And the SEC is a long and treacherous schedule, particularly this year, with 10 games Zero non-con. However, Sam Pittman is as good a story as there is in college football. And I'm watching that game, and I'm seeing the linebacker, Morgan, not my brother, um, another not highly recruited player. He's got like 19 tackles, a a pick six, a sack. I'm watching a walk-on defensive back that nobody wanted, trying to do his best Jason Seahorn impersonation. Yeah, you know where I'm going with that. Mm -hmm. And he picks off three passes. I I, I mean, these are not – you mentioned like Chad left some pretty highly touted skilled people, as you would expect him to be able to recruit. But there's some guys on that defense that were – you're talking two-star type kids that are balling right now in Fayetteville. Barry Odom, man, Barry and and and, the big and Kendall, deal. Barry and Kendall and Sam, they're they're getting after it. But and you know, look, let me just tell you this about Sam Pittman. He was always an elite recruiter, always a guy. That, and, 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 and you know, some guys are elite recruiters when they're at schools where they can you know go sell things. Uh, in other words, you know, you got an Alabama on your shirt, they can go recruit, but they can't do it if they have you know, Vanderbilt on their shirt. Sam mm-hmm. Pittman, North Carolina, Tennessee when they weren't good, Arkansas under Belima, it didn't matter. He went all over the country and got players uh, on the offensive line and then really came into his own in Georgia. So so, so this is a guy that kind of has some good qualities if he can make the right coordinator hires, which I don't think there, you could have made two better ones 
you know, and um, I didn't know talent wise if it would work out and all that. But right now, you know, two and two, and they should be three and one. Uh, and you watch this too, because you know, four and six teams are eligible for bowls this year, or anybody's eligible for a bowl. Watch if it comes down to two, four, and six teams for that last bowl spot, and the SEC has to decide. They will give it to Arkansas because they were wrong about that call against Auburn. But, you know, like you said, it, 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 the schedule doesn't get any easier, you know. Um, it's They have a bye week this week, and they're at Texas A&M, and that game's in College Station this year. Um, they're not playing it in Dallas like they normally do. Uh, they have Tennessee coming to Fayetteville. They go at Florida. They have LSU coming to Fayetteville. They go at Missouri. And then the last week of the season, they play Alabama in Fayetteville. Um, so, you know, there's probably some more losses to come. But I think, you know, the the Vegas under over for number of wins for Arkansas was .5. <laughs> so, so if you load it up on the Hogs to win one, you've already won your money. Um, and so I think, I think they've in a lot of ways already won this year. Uh, and, and I think they're just going to get better and better. Cause I, I look at their recruiting Mike and, you know, I see them going and getting guys out of Florida that I really like that, you know, in Arkansas doesn't normally get, or I see them going and getting a guy from here, there, or yonder, uh, that Arkansas hadn't been getting, um, you know, it's, it's a top 25 class right now. Um, you got several really good players, uh, and on top of that, I think Barry Odom's a great evaluator on defense. So even if the defensive guys aren't rated that high, I don't care. So uh, you know, it, it's a it, it's a good thing, and I and I think that uh, Sam Pittman may prove may prove to be the best hire out of all of them. Just like I don't know that many of us thought that you know Mark Stoops a few years back when it was Stoops, and I guess Malzahn came in the same year, so you could really Stoops and Malzada, but you know, Mark Stoops came in, Butch Jones came in. There was another guy that came in and then there was Malzahn and Belima, Belima Stoops. And, and I don't think anybody thought Mark Stoops would outlast all of them, but uh, we may have the no, same the, thing here. You know, the guy that everybody thought was the home run hire of that group was Belima. Yeah. How did they, how'd they steal him from Wisconsin? Yeah. And then Butch Jones started, you know, recruiting really well. And everybody's like, Oh, Butch, you know, and, uh, Mark Stoops was just kind of going winless in the league and stuff like that. But, you know, that, that it's funny how sometimes things like that work out. It's still early, and it may not work out that way, but yeah. certainly a big start, I think, for the Hogs and Sam Pittman. Yeah, let, let them enjoy the moment. We're not going to point out that there have been other coaches that have burst onto the scene in year one, and then things could go downhill in a hurry. It can happen in the SEC in particular, but for right now, uh, I'm happy for the fine folks uh, of Arkansas, as you and I have talked about, great part of the country, great program, great fan base, and they have been treated to some lousy football over the last couple of years. Uh, speaking of the former head coach of Arkansas, speaking of one of the coaches you just mentioned, they're both on the staff at Auburn. Uh, and Auburn goes to Columbia in a big game for really both programs and really for both coaches. We don't do hits and misses anymore, but I will tell you I called my shot on this one on this podcast and several talk shows. I just had a feeling Carolina was due for a game like this in which they're not completely overmatched talent-wise. Um, a win over Vanderbilt is not impressive, but psychologically they needed something good to build on. I think that carried over, and they simply they just grinded this out. Uh, 
the focus outside of we'll, we'll get to the Gamecock perspective for a minute in a minute. The, the focus on Auburn, it, it, this is the same old thing we go through every year. Now it's like, okay, what, what is what is Gus's buyout? Uh, we when we lose, we lose ugly. It doesn't matter who's calling plays; things just go downhill. It's just, I, I feel like it's it's Groundhog Day on the plains. It really is. I'll say this about Bo Nix: Bo Nix to me has not improved at all from his freshman year, um, and, and and that concerns me. That there there are some throws he's making. Like you're not you're not throwing across your body and completing that pass. I saw a couple of those this week in the SEC. Stetson Bennett, the fourth, uh, tried one of those against Alabama. Unless your name is Pat Mahomes, uh, you're playing against an SEC defense. If you're rolling out right and you're buying time and there's guys in your face and you just figure, I'm going to sling this across my chest over the middle and zip one in there, chances are that's going to get picked. And he did it multiple times. J.C. Horn is a good player, uh, but but they made J.C. Horn look like Lester Hayes, they made him look like primetime, like Rod Woodson. I mean, <laughs> it, it really poor. Some of the play calling I didn't understand for Auburn. Um, they, they've got some issues there, and they don't have the dominating defense that they had a year ago. And, and for those that complain about buyouts for, for your particular coach, take a look at what Gus Malzahn's is. Um, <laughs> good luck. Good luck paying that one off. I, 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 I just, I think Auburn t- clearly has taken a step back this year. And then you worry about in today's day and age in, in, in particular, when things snowball, do you have the buy-in from everybody? Do kids start getting discouraged? Do they start uh, not giving you everything on the, on the Gamecock side? And I know you were watching every second of this game and I saw most of it. Uh, look, it, it's uh, to me, Mike Bobo, you've got a difference this year, Gamecock fans, in a play caller. Like, you got a guy who's been around the block and knows what he's doing. He's not working with a ton out there. Got a talented re- receiver in Shai Smith. I love the running back now. You'll have to give me the background on him, JC, on the recruiting front. Uh, and, and you got a solid quarterback and you got a solid O line. I might be missing something, but that's what I see without uh, taking as deep a dive as, as you're about to. Uh, but I see a, an offensive coordinator that is getting the absolute best out of the personnel he has in Columbia. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And in South Carolina got some good news uh, this week, uh, transfer wide receiver Jalen Brooks, um, who they really like, um, 6'3", 190. He's coming in from Wingate University, uh, where he caught 60, or 44 passes last year. Uh, big guy, very fast, uh, and he'll help with the receiving core. They're very limited at receiver right now. Um, South Carolina's offensive line was supposed to be good this year, and they are finally. So that helps. I can't imagine them trying to do what they're doing right now with with a bad offensive line, uh, with Colin Hill back there and, and a limited ability to get it out. Uh, but yeah, Mike Bobo, he's uh, he's really if you think back. To his later years at Georgia, Mike, uh, Georgia had some defensive problems uh, when they kind of went through that Todd Grantham to Jeremy Pruitt uh, transition. Uh, Georgia had some issues with, uh, you know, some misses in recruiting on the back end, and they had to sort of outscore people sometimes. You know, I remember a game with Tennessee in 2012 where they won 51-44, a game against LSU, I think, 
maybe it was 2013 where, when it was a 52-47 kind of game. Um, and that's just kind of how Georgia had to play. Uh, and I think he got better and better and better and better. And then he went to Colorado State and coached in that league for four years and called all the plays where you have to outscore people. And he just does so many different things that it's hard to kind of anticipate him uh, as a play caller. And that's exactly why South, I mean, South Carolina only had, you know, 297 yards of total offense on Saturday. But, you know, when they got a turnover, they get, they stuck it in the end zone, you know, and, and they're able to run the ball unlike – I mean, they haven't been able to run the ball like this since the Spurrier era, really. Um, and so I do think that is a big difference. Um, and I think that, you know, that's kind of – South Carolina's number one in the SEC in time of possession. And I think that's how they're going to have to win games this season is keep the ball, go on long scoring drives, dink and dunk – Take your shot every now and then, run the football and score, keep the opposing offense off the field. Now, as I mentioned earlier, that, that's not going to work against a team like Alabama, but it, it can work, you know, against most of the teams on South Carolina's schedule moving forward, including Georgia and Kentucky and uh, Ole Miss and Texas A&M and whoever else they have to play. Not saying they're going to win, but uh, I think you can keep them in there. Uh, and you're right, my Bobo's done an outstanding job uh, calling the plays. And, and you mentioned J.C. Horn, too. And I thought it was the height of arrogance for Chad Morris and Bo Nix to continue to go after him. Uh, he's a guy that has not had any career interceptions, all right? <laughs> but he's also a guy that nobody ever throws to his side of the field. If you ever right. notice or watch the South Carolina, he shuts down his side of the field every single game. Um, and so that means quarterbacks are making the right decision, not going after him. And boy, Auburn just kept going after him over and over and over again. And, and they paid for it. And that's what you're going to, you know, you go after some of the best guys in the SEC like that, you're going to pay for it unless you're great. Um, and I, and I think finally on Auburn, going back to that, uh, you know, everybody talked about how Chad Morris would be this seamless transition. And I, cause he coached with Gus Man, I I just don't know. I, I've watched a lot of Chad Morris teams over the years, even when he was good, when he was at SMU, you know, not just Arkansas, but at Clemson, at SMU. They are much more pass-happy than Gus Malzahn is. Gus Malzahn's offense is hard to stop. It has been hard to stop at Auburn when they are able to get that run game going, Mike. When they're doing all that motion and window dressing and just gashing you with their – and they have, and they do have great running backs, um, their O line may not be super duper, but Tank Bigsby's a future star in the league. DJ Williams is outstanding. Uh, Shivers is good, and Anthony Richards is really good too. They, they go four deep at running back. Auburn's never good when they try to get into this. It doesn't matter who the guy that's calling plays actually is. Rhett Lashley, Chip Lindsey, whoever. When they get away from that and they start trying to chunk it all over the place, uh, I don't care who they have at receiver. They they just the the, the secret sauce for Malzahn. Uh, is running the football. And for the life of me, I don't know why you hire a guy to come in and call the plays that, that, that's going to chunk it around a little more th than you want to. I, I still think, you know, committing to that run game, which is dynamic and different and still hard as heck to stop when it's rolling. Uh, I don't know why they keep getting, why the desire is there to keep getting away from that and delegate or do whatever. I, I think Gus needs to call Gus's offense. I think he had it right when he said that and decided to do it. Uh, I don't think they need an offensive coordinator, but in name only, you certainly don't need Chad Morris. 
Gus needs to do Gus things, and that's going to get Auburn back on track more than anything else. Yeah, it's one of those things where when Gus's offense doesn't work because it it, it has a knack of looking really ugly, and I know look you mm-hmm. know losing never looks pretty, but when when he when he's dialing up typical Gus runs in a game where they're working. not. It's just, I mean, it's real, real bad. And so the fans are clamoring, you got to change that. And, and what do I always say about, uh, you know, coaches, path of least resistance, uh, you're, 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 you're yearning for your survival. So you're like, I, I got to do something. I'm going to bring in a coordinator with a big name uh, that's done good things elsewhere. And so you do that, and that's one of those, again, that's a home run higher on the surface, right? Because we've seen coordinators do a great job, then fail as a head coach, but then go back to coordinator and do a great job. We were just talking about Barry Odom. Um, so I, I understood the hire, and, and I, but it almost, to your point, it, it's the move of a guy who knows that you know, that fan base is on his rear end every time they lose a game. And very rarely have has the focal point been they lost the game because Auburn can't play defense. It always seems to circle back around one side of the football with Auburn. It always seems to be offensively that uh, has everybody the most concerned. And, and, and when he was dialing up all those, there, there are times it works. And if you have the right quarterback, there are times it works. Now, Knicks can run. That's not the problem. Uh, I just don't know if Knicks is a great passer. I, I don't know if he's going to turn into that. And then the, the decision-making, I mean, it was obvious, you know, they were trying to get uh, the, the football to what at times looks like one of the best receivers in the league in Seth Williams. But Seth might have a little higher opinion of himself than, than reality. You think? Uh, yeah, I mean, Seth loves him some Seth, and, and not all – every time he doesn't get the ball, it's – I mean, it's a gripe session, and if he – uh, we never know sometimes who ran the wrong route, and who did, but you got the feeling that there were times where maybe Seth wasn't on the right page. Uh, so that you know, you, you got your quarterback and wide receiver barking at each other, that's not a good look in the middle of the game. Uh, just, just not a good look overall around. I, I, I mentioned the uh, Gamecock running back, Kevin Williams, Kevin uh, Harris. I'm sorry, Kevin Harris. That'd be a great hybrid if we could combine. Seth, Seth Williams, Williams and Kevin and Harris. Harris. Now, yeah, now you got great. something. Yeah. That's that's Megatron right there. Uh again, I don't know how many stars he was, <laughs> but I, I know he's a guy that finishes every run, always falls forward, fights for every yard. That's my kind of back. If you're not gonna be, you know, blessed with four three speed and you're not the biggest back in the world, what is he, five ten? Um I, I I love his game. Let's put it that way. 510-225, uh, here's the story behind Kevin Harris. Kevin Harris came to Will Muschamp football camp uh, in the summer of 2019, and he measured in 510-225. He ran a 4-4-1 in the 40 and at a 42-inch vertical leap, so they offered him on the spot, and he committed. Kevin Harris's other offers in recruiting were from Navy, Army, and Air Force. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's he's from coastal Georgia, Hinesville, a place called Bradwell Institute down on coastal Georgia. Uh, Could you imagine this kid if he played for Navy? Yeah. I mean, he'd be running 388 yards a game, man. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, they liked him last year, Mike. And um, 
he didn't. Uh, he, he played a little against Charleston Southern and rushed six times for 147 yards and two touchdowns. But Charleston Southern was not very good, and then he just wasn't healthy. He wasn't healthy in the spring. Uh, I talked to a source at South Carolina uh, about the spring and running backs, and, and the five-star guy, Marshawn Lloyd, who was actually going to be the starter, who was actually going to beat Kevin Harris out. Imagine if they'd have had those two guys. Um, you know, he was the guy that like him and then Kevin Harris. And, you know, there were some people, fans, that thought Kevin Harris would be a fullback, you know, because he's just a three. You know, and that shows you the fallacy of three-star whatever. Uh, and, and and the source said, no, Kevin Harris is probably going to be the number two back. And then as, you know, fall practice went on, South Carolina's got a new running backs coach there in Des Kitchings. Uh, you started hearing, well, Harris has been the most consistent, but it's probably running back by committee. They almost downplayed him a little bit because I think they realized how good this guy would be. Uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, 100 yards against Florida, 170 uh, against um, Vanderbilt, and then then 83 against Auburn on 25 carries. But, you know, the guy had a 90-yard touchdown called back, uh, you know, and then on, a, on a ticky-tack hold in the first half. So, he could have had even more against the Tigers. So I, you know, I think he's a guy that people got to look out for. He's going to be one of those guys that, you know, probably did not have the hype coming out of uh, high school, but who uh, is a pretty doggone good player, you know, and, and all that. And I, I keep thinking back, you know, obviously I'm glad he's at South Carolina, but I keep thinking back, what if he'd have gone to Navy? Because <laughs> I, I just, you know, I mean, he's, 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 he's a freak. You know, when you talk about Navy and, and being in the option and all that. But, uh, you know, certainly as a guy that, you know, South Carolina, uh, I think I think he's a, either sophomore, redshirt freshman. Um, and then you got the, the other kid, Lloyd. And so, you know, you're, you're going to – South Carolina's going to be pretty good at running back here in the forthcoming years. It's it, – you know, I know you were used to being in the evaluation business. It's a hell of a lot better story when they get it wrong. You know, if, if it was all so predictable where all the five stars went to Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and all the four stars went to Oklahoma and LSU and Georgia, and then all the two stars just got stuck playing in – and I shouldn't say stuck. If they were relegated to playing in, in you know, lower division football, whatever, that'd be boring. I, I love when we have stories like this, like the walk-on at Arkansas, like, like yeah. a kid like Harris who's barely recruited and is – uh, quickly emerging as one of the better backs in the SEC. I, I, I like to see that. I think that, that's the beauty of college football in some respects. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, one more SEC game to talk about. Uh, if I told you the last two weeks the Mike Leach offense got outscored by the Mike Leach defense, would you believe me? Tune in for the next 30 for 30. Uh, Mississippi State, again, just just really – uh, just putrid on offense. I don't know how else to put it. They lose 28-14 to, to Texas A&M. Um, maybe they'll figure it out at some point this year in Starkville. But And and you could certainly make the case that Mike Leach does not have his type of players on that offense yet. Uh, so this is, not, this is not like a long-range indictment that it's just not going to work for Mike Leach and Starkville. That would be tremendously... Uh, and wrongly premature, but for this season, it's hard to believe it's going to turn around a whole lot. It's tough, and they, they haven't had Kylan Hill. Um, Garrett Shader Schrader left. Uh, uh, Hill has been out dealing with personal issues, and 
you know, and Garrett Schrader left. He was the starting quarterback last year. They wanted to play. He he doesn't fit that offense. I, I will say something to kind of look out for is Will Rogers, the 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 true freshman they have, is probably a better fit for what Mike Leach likes to do as a quarterback than KJ Costello. Don't get me wrong, what KJ Costello did against LSU is very intriguing. But he's become a turnover machine. He gets sacked a lot, doesn't get out that fast. Um, you know, they have to get the ball to their playmakers um, to be successful on the perimeter. Guys like Osiris Mitchell and Malik Heath and Peyton and, and all those guys. And they did that against LSU. They just hadn't done it since. I feel bad for the LSU, for the Mississippi State defense because – I think they've played pretty doggone good this year. <laughs> you know, they held uh, A&M to 325 yards, um, four for 10 on third down. Uh, you know, Kellen Mond wasn't super duper in the game. Isaiah Spiller did pretty pretty well. But, uh, you know, I, I think Mississippi State's quietly played pretty good on defense this year. And that, that sucks because I think we all expected them to have a uh, – a more explosive offense, but until, until they get Kylan Hill back and it sounds like he may not even come back um, and fix their quarterback situation. I mean, I, I just, you know, I don't have much faith in, in the Bulldogs turning it around and, and, and I like Mike Leach so much, you know, I hate that, but they've, you know, they've got Alabama on Halloween. They do have Vanderbilt the following week. Uh, so there's a chance to turn that around and they do play Missouri later this year, but uh you know, right now it's just hard to see the wins if they're not scoring points. You know, I said, like I said, their defense is better than I expected, but they're not great. And so, you know, it's going to be tough to win some ball games. Yeah, and I would just put a bow on this one uh, from the A&M side. Look, Alabama's history, there's no shame in losing, even though it was another lopsided loss. A&M doesn't always do it pretty. Um, it's not what everybody had envisioned with Jimbo. And Kellen Mond – I, I still I still think there's more there's more meat on that bone for him to play better, but don't look now. But Texas A and M is certainly in the hunt, and mm-hmm. and that's that's what everybody was hoping for, and some people were expecting this year, and right now they have that at at three and one with the only loss coming to the Crimson Tide. And yeah, and you look at it too. They got our you know these are not all games that you just say the Aggies will win. But it's not as daunting as maybe it once looked. You got South, you got Arkansas, South Carolina, Tennessee, Mississippi, Ole Miss, LSU, and then at Auburn to end the season. With the way things are going for LSU and Auburn right now, you know, you, you, you get past those, you know, they should be favored in the next four. Heck, A&M can finish nine and one and. You know, I'll give another shoot to it. Shoot. Jimbo could end up in the playoff. Founders is offering a low-rate mortgage with up to $4,000 in closing costs to full-time hospital employees. Honoring your frontline efforts against COVID-19. With no PMI, no origination fee, and no limit on the loan amount, you can't go wrong. Visit founders.com slash HEC and apply for your hospital employee choice mortgage today. 
Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Institution NMLS identifier number 410646. Founders is an equal housing lender and is federally insured by the NCUA. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. So just some other notes to other games around the country. I, I can't help but be intrigued by this. Um, Liberty. Liberty blows out Syracuse. Liberty was favored in that game, so we can't even call it an upset. Their second year in FBS, they ran for 338 yards over the Qs. You mentioned Hugh Freeze earlier. Uh, There's a great article, by the way, um, on Hugh Freeze by Bruce Feldman, who's one of the good, you know, we we talked about – in today's day and age, what we learned about uh, COVID, there are some college football writers that would rather be political commentators than actually cover the sport that uh, we love and want to hear about. Bruce Feldman wrote a, a brilliant uh, piece on um, on, uh, on Liberty and and what how Hugh Freeze is rebuilding his image. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he might not have a Power 5 job next year. What he has done with that program in a short amount of time is pretty amazing, and they didn't even have their top running back in that game. I think their top running back and one of their top wide receivers were out of that game, and they still go up to the Dome and run all over the Qs. Uh, Liberty is a program, if you've ever been there, and I, I have been, it is a unique place. It is not for everybody. It is, it is a, a challenge uh, they have believed for quite some time that they, they should be in a power five conference, believe it or not. Even when they were in the FCS, they're like, we should be in the big 12. And it didn't matter how many people said, well, you're not getting in the big 12. Well, we should be, we got the resources, we got the commitment. Um, but here they are in the FBS and <laughs> Hugh freeze is undefeated. So who knows? Maybe Hugh freeze gets a, a chance at redemption and gets another job uh, at an FBS. I don't know if it'll be the SEC, but at least uh, the Power Five. Well, there's some Auburn people. If you Google, uh, and this is in a column by Tom Fernelli on CBS Sports Today, if you uh, if you Google Hugh Freeze Auburn, there's some there's some names, that, you know, there's some message board posts and tweets that come up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, look, Liberty's always an interesting, has always been sort of an interesting deal for me. Um, in terms of, 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 of the commitment and the expectations there matching, you know, they want to be Notre Dame or BYU, mm-hmm. basically. I mean, kind of a religious school on their own, take hold all comers, that type of thing. Um, and quite frankly, uh, you know, they, 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 Turner Gill, believe it or not, sort of rebuilt his reputation there and 
had winning seasons. And Danny Rocco before him had winning seasons when they all right, Rocco. Sorry, no, Rocco. Then Hugh Freeze takes him to a bowl game in his first year, and um, you know Hugh's a heck of a coach, and and I, I know that his you know him getting back in the SEC may be challenging at least for like another year. But I think he's going to go back. I mean, I, I I think some people do things when they're coaching that, you know, they're never going to get back. I mean, it's just like, nah, you know, you need to go someplace. Some people get into some trouble, and then after a couple of years, all is forgiven. You know, to me, he's kind of like a Bruce Pearl type of guy, If you to use a basketball analogy. Mm-hmm. It'll take the right program to hire him, maybe like Auburn. But uh, I think he could get back in and – and do a good job. I, you know, I, I kind of think, and this is nothing against Ole Miss and the program they have there. And, and, you know, he, he made sense for that. I mean, not, not a lot of people know this, Mike. Did you, do you know Hugh Freeze was uh, Michael Orr's high school coach? Yeah. yeah. In the, in the, 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 in the, the Feldman book. He's in the blind side. Right. Yeah. There's somebody that plays Hugh Freeze in the blind side. Um, and then was an assistant under Orgeron and then kind of worked his way back to Ole Miss. Um, you know, and, and so, so I, I, you know, I, I understand his affinity for the rebels and then that program, but he should have taken the Florida job. <laughs> Cause you look back and I think Florida was looking at him to replace Will Muschamp. Uh, and they hired Jim McElwain instead. I, had he gone to Florida at that point, he'd probably still be at Florida and Dan Mullen would still be at Mississippi state. But, uh, you know, sometimes you kind of look at things like that and you're like, man, if he'd have just gotten out then, maybe that wouldn't have followed him or whatever. But, you know, so now he's got to build Liberty and and uh, get back to wherever. If he wants to get back there, maybe he stays at Liberty for a while. But I I, uh, I do think it's a story to really keep watching. And, you know, Bruce Feldman obviously is all over it. And I think, um, you know, I, after seeing some of the negativity people wrote about Liberty University for – reasons that have nothing to do with football. And then they, they had a couple of players opt out. And every time they had an opt out, they were like, Oh my God, here's a Liberty player opting out. Um, you know, it was good to see some positive pub uh, go Hughes way. Their quarterback, by the way, Malik Willis is a former Auburn tiger. <laughs> yes. A former Auburn quarterback from Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny sometimes how, how uh, certain things work, but um, look, I'm, I, I know he did a lot of things wrong at Ole Miss, but there's no questioning he can coach. Um, he's he's not just a recruiter either. He can do both. Uh, he he is the real deal. Uh, remember, they beat Alabama two years in a row. They almost won a third time. They were very competitive in that third game. And I know he got a lot of talent, uh, some of it suspiciously. But you beat Alabama two in a row, you can't say it's because – uh, just recruiting. You got to do some no. coaching. <laughs> you know, I, they had one of the best offenses in the league, and you know yeah. their defense really during the time was, you know, they would attack and they, they build up their personnel on the defensive side of the ball. And the Ole Miss defense is really good too. Um, but yeah, he, he, Hugh Freeze was. I mean, Hugh Freeze took over after the two years. Like Houston Nutt was there for four years, had two good years, and then tanked badly and 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 freeze his first year got Ole Miss to the Birmingham Bowl right 
was probably the largest crowd in the history of the Birmingham Bowl. They all go over and they're happy. And and that was a great piece of coaching. And yeah, he, he, it was a shame that they, they just couldn't get past Alabama because of, um, you know, they, they, uh, they, I think they lost to Arkansas one year at home in an amazing game. Uh, and that cost them the division and, and they never got there, but, you know, looking back on it, I think, if you, if you look at the actual recruiting, their biggest mistake was signing Laramie Tunzel um, out of Florida. You know, oh, he crushed them. You could look, and, and not not necessarily because of how he and his stepfather acted, but because you know you could. And and I knew some coaches on some other staffs that were recruiting Tunzel at the same time, some finalists, if you will. And you know, Robert Kimdichie the reason they signed Robert Kimdichie, who was the number one player in the country that year was because Denzel Kimdichie, who ended up being pretty good himself. They, they gave him a scholarship, you know, and out of, out of, and that's Robert's brother. And they, I think they beat BYU on Denzel Kimdichie. And so they got the brother. So, so that made sense. Laquan Treadwell, their very fine receiver out of Illinois. The reason they got him was because one of his teammates, his best friend from a year ago, they had the foresight to offer him a walk-on, uh, you know, walk-on position. So he had a buddy there, and he had a relationship. You look down all those other good players they got, they were either junior college players from Mississippi or players from within the state of Mississippi, okay? And then they evaluated well enough to where they took a lot of three-star guys and they played like fours. But then there's the one guy, Laramie Tunzel, and you just couldn't explain it, Mike. You couldn't explain how a kid from Columbia, Florida, Lake Lake City, Columbia, Florida, Columbia High School, Lake City, Florida. You could not explain how that kid says no to Georgia, Florida, Florida State, and Alabama and goes to Ole Miss. And there's another staff that going in there for their end home. They thought they had him. They walk in, the whole family's wearing Ole Miss gear. Everybody kind of turns white as a ghost and is like, ah, we need to back off of this one. <laughs> so, so, so that was the deal. Sometimes you got to think about it. Uh, is having a great left tackle, which is very valuable, um, worth all the trouble? Or can I just go get a good left tackle and be just as good, which I, I don't think Laramie Tunzel actually won them any football games. Right. You know? The only thing I'll say to all that is that, I have a weird feeling <laughs> that eventually, if it wasn't Laramie, it was somebody else. Because everybody was talking about it. I mean, everybody. It was. You just could not explain any of them. But you, I mean, I'm sorry. You could explain any of them but Tunzel. Because, I mean, they weren't going into Alabama and beating Bama on kids. They weren't going into Georgia and beating Georgia on kids. You know, they had the relationships and the family deal when it came to Kim Dietschy and Treadwell. The only one you could not explain was Tunzel. And lo and behold, years later, he and his stepdad are the ones that, yeah. you know, turn him in. But, yeah, are, were they going to get invested? Any school that's not a name school – that ends up with the fourth ranked class in the country. Yeah, probably somebody's going to give you a good once over. Yeah, know, in terms of investigation, that's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was just it was out there for a while, and and uh, the uh, the sacred cows, so to speak, they they don't take kindly to other programs putting together top five classes and beating them out on five star kids, mm-hmm. and so when that happens. You better make sure there's nothing traceable because eventually someone's gonna someone's gonna nab you, and then of course any 
uh, I don't care about the stuff he did in his personal life, honestly. I mean, I know that that was kind of piling on at that point, and maybe that makes it easier to to part ways with him. But I, I don't think your average fan cares about that either. Yeah, lots of yeah, there's lots of people that never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't even need to <laughs> go into all that. But I mean, the the bottom line is uh, an AD is concerned about. I don't want to have a scandal. I don't want to be on probation. And, uh, you know, Ole Miss has obviously suffered as a program since that and hasn't had a, a semblance of a defense in part because of that. So uh, that is uh, something. Uh, all right, we're going to rifle through the rest of them. Clemson beats the doors off Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is back to uh, irrelevance in terms of, you know, any type of ACC talk. I think Jeff Collins is the right coach. Uh, but, but they're just overmatched and, and Clemson did what Clemson can do. If they wanted to score 90, they would have scored 90 in that game. Notre Dame beats Louisville in an ugly, ugly game. 12, mm. seven uh, Miami beats Pitt. so much for how good my uh, Pitt's defense is. That's a, that's a forgotten story. Uh, North Carolina beats Florida state. A little disappointed in the Tar Heels in that one. Like you, you got all the hype and you got the quarterback and Mac Brown's a great story. You go in there a double digit favorite and Florida state said that ah, they were kind of motivated to play this week Yeah, in the game. 31, 28. I mean, look, Mac Brown, where did he go to college? Florida State. Florida State University. Who can he not beat? Florida State University. I cannot beat the Florida State University Seminoles here at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. The Tar Heels just struggle for some reason against the Seminoles, Mike. And I uh, never beat them back in the 90s when I was here, and I'm never beating them now. I'm 0 1. We had a top five team already, Mike, and we, we went down to Tallahassee and we lost. Is that Mac Brown? Is that uh... I'm working on it, man. Okay, I don't. I don't okay. know that that's great. I, I, I'm. I'm going to fine tune. Kind of sounded like there. just a a guy, uh, you know, like, a yeah. station, like at a full serve back in you know like '84 to go back to that great year and running a, a you know pumping the gas to say, well, sir, would you a regular unleaded? Would it, 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 it kind of felt like that, like a. You know, like in a just a, a backwoods movie, like a like a Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven, and and and, and that's how he talked. But I, I'm not saying Mac Brown doesn't talk like that. I'm very disappointed in J.C. Sherbert's Mac Brown impersonation. There we go. That's more. Lou is always you're going to be your go-to. That's uh, like Dana Carvey with Johnny Carson. But when in doubt, go Lou. Uh, go Lou. <laughs> but yeah, look, I, I was disappointed in North Carolina too. I'd, but I'll, I'll I'll say this: I do believe. Something good is finally happening at Florida State. Jordan Travis, was he perfect? No. But, man, Florida State, ran, they ran the ball hard. You know, they made big plays when they needed to. Uh, I know North Carolina ran up a bunch of yards against them, but, you know, Florida State buckled down, and, and, and you know, we'll see kind of what happens uh, this weekend. Uh, you can almost see it because uh, at Louisville, I think it's going to be interesting for FSU, but you could kind of see it against Notre Dame, Mike, that they, they kind of fought hard. And I thought it was more like what Notre Dame wasn't doing, but that went over North Carolina's big. And, you know, all of a sudden now the ACC is shaping up just like we thought it would, except I don't think Notre Dame's as good as we thought they'd be. Uh, they're definitely not third in the country, uh, but it does look like it's going to be Clemson and the Irish or maybe in the war, in, in the one thing that would cause me to have more egg on my face than anything, NC State's right there lurking in the mix. The, the, in the midst, the, the, who's the, their coach again? 
I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> they got oh, now they now they play North Carolina. Chocolate and roses. Did you did you write an apology card? They play North Carolina, Miami, Florida State the next three weeks, and then they play Liberty. <laughs> keeps winning, and then Syracuse and Tech. Man, I I'll feel so awful. Care package. Uh, care package. Yeah, I need to. I definitely need to write him a letter of Scented appreciation. Candles. So yeah, no doubt. But uh, soaps, yeah. So that looks like it. But uh, big game for the pack this weekend against the Tar Heels. Uh, just two more quick ones. I, and I know we we got to we got to move ahead here. Um, congratulations to the Chanticleers. And if you're mispronouncing that wrong, and you're in the national media, shame on you. Please, little homework. If they're in the top twenty-five, you got to pronounce their mascot correctly. It's not the Chanticleers. Coastal Carolina, the pride of Conway, South Carolina, undefeated after knocking off top 25, a ULL, uh, 30 to 27. Uh, yeah, I feel like you and I, having spent time in that state, already know that story pretty well, but uh, it, it's, it's a, it's their, their whole program, a national championship in baseball where they've been good for years. They've been relevant in football uh, for years, uh, initially at the FCS level and, and now getting it done at the FBS level, but this is uh, this is a whole new level and entirely. Being in the top, I think number twenty five exactly in the uh, in the AP. So congrats, good good coach, Jamie Chadwell coached it. He won at Charleston Southern. Um, and, you know, he I think he he was somewhere else too. He was Charleston Southern. He won at North Greenville College. Took them from two and eight to eleven and three. Had a year at Delta State, uh, and then took Charleston Southern. He won there. Uh, four straight years and then uh now he's got coastal kind of after they were third three and nine five and seven got got him off to a good start big win over louisiana down in lafayette so um that is a good story you know that south carolina for years was kind of a, an fcs state because you had clemson and south carolina uh and unlike alabama where you have your troys and and uabs and south alabamas of the world that are you know technically fbs you know, there's FCS programs in South Carolina. Well, Coastal is now the third FBS program in the state of South Carolina. Conway's right outside of Myrtle Beach. You know, they have Appalachian State type of potential, uh, in my opinion, in the Sun Belt. Uh, one more game, and I'm just going to mention it uh, because of their quarterback, and that's BYU beating Houston, a, a team that was supposed to make noise in the American, still might make noise in the American but they went ahead and just ran rough shot over him, 43-26. I say ran rough shot. They really threw rough shot because that's what they've been doing all year under Zach Wilson. And I'll give Pandemic Pete Thamel uh, some credit, too. He wrote a good article on Zach Wilson. Um, the same Pete Thamel who said there's about a 5% chance we'd have a college football season. And I like I mean, Pete's a very talented writer. So I, I like when, when guys like that actually focus on um, these kind of stories and uh, uh, again, talented writer who wrote the uh, the piece, and uh, and Zach Wilson. I didn't know a lot of this story. Do, do, what if I said JC without looking at the internet? Tell me everything you know about Zach Wilson at BYU. He is from Utah. Um, it's shoot, I had the name of his high school because you mentioned. I don't want you to look. Now, I, I, I did some research earlier, Mike. Well, like, see, now you ruined my whole thing. You're not supposed to do research. Durango, Utah, something like that. I don't know, but he's from the state of Utah. I'm a three-star kid. Yeah, uh, well, and that's that's where I was heading. You know, much like Mac Jones overlooked, this kid, not only three-star might be 
might be pushing it. Not only was he not highly touted, his father played for Utah. Okay, his father was a very talented uh, football player at Utah. I believe his mother also was an athlete at the University of Utah. He grew up going to Utah games. He wanted to be a Ute. Utah never offered him a scholarship. I'm just very, I'm <laughs> very never offered him a scholarship. Uh, he he got some offers late in the process. But if you're wondering why this kid went to BYU, because BYU is a unique place. Some some kids grow up and that's where they want to be. That wasn't the case with Zach Wilson. He wound up at, at BYU because Utah didn't give him an offer. Uh, and and now all of a sudden. You know, he was a, 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 you know, your typical kind of scrawny kind of, um, you know, not, not, not the best, didn't fit the profile that a lot of people were looking for. And now you watch this kid, and I've caught glimpses of a couple of his games. Uh, he, he's going to be playing in the NFL. Yeah. I don't know where he's going to be drafted, but Zach Wilson will be an NFL quarterback. It's quick release. He's about 6'4". Um, he's from Draper, Utah, which is a south suburb of Salt Lake City, kind of on the way down I-15 toward Provo, where BYU is. Uh, but I'm actually disappointed in Kyle Winningham for not offering Zach Wilson a scholarship. There we go. I can't even. I gotta get. I gotta quit doing that. Um, no, but it's it's it's, it's very disappointing. There's a whole generation of people listening right now. <laughs> Would you have a program that's committed to excellence like the Brigham Young University Cougars are? Do a Lavelle, a Lavelle Edwards impersonation for yeah. our BYU listeners out there. Jeez, Lavelle Edwards. What a what a what a. Off, you know, like guys like Mike Leach learned from him. You know, I've said all along putting a Mount Rushmore of college football offensive minds. Steve Spurrier and Lavelle Edwards are where I start. Yes, no, no question, because they kind of did their own. They did their own thing. You know, they did their own thing. I would go with Urban Meyer too. Had he kind of. Like, let's say Urban had stayed at Florida and done that, what he does at Florida. But I think once Mullen left, we kind of figured out, well, that was Dan Mullen's offense, not Urban Meyer's. Urban's just great. At, I mean, he's just a great all-around coach. Yeah, yeah. But I know offense, a lot of people do not like him at all as a person. Yeah. Um, and I don't watch him on Fox, although I've been told that he does a surprisingly good job as a studio guy, which yeah. is a little surprised at that, to be honest with you. He's, he's actually guy, good, yeah. The guy's one of the best coaches of our generation. Look at yeah. what he did yeah, yeah, everywhere he went. But remember when he came from Utah and he had Alex Smith and then yeah. he goes to Florida and they're like, Urban Meyer's bringing the spread option offense to the SEC. And and we all were kind of like, yeah, that's Urban Meyer's offense. And, you know, he, he created it at, at Bowling Green and, and all that. Well, well, then we found out um, in about 2009 that it was really Dan Mullen's offense because <laughs> they started doing something completely different Tebow's senior year. And you're like, that's not Urban Meyer's offense anymore, you know, and that's uh, – uh, and, uh, of course, in Ohio State they did lots of different things. But, uh, yeah, he's just a coach. Offensive guys in college, I- I'd have to be right there with you, man. A Spurrier and uh, Lavelle Edwards and maybe uh, – I don't even know who else. Mouse Davis, maybe. I don't know. I don't even know who else. Uh, when you're well, talking you're about Mouse Davis, football. and you could go June Jones. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think there's a precipitous drop off. I'm sure we're going to get hit up on Twitter saying you forgot this guy. And for a lot of people, they'll be like Lavelle Edwards. Really? I mean, just go back and look. BYU was doing stuff that no one else in the world was doing when they were doing it. Mm-hmm. And then Spurrier. 
the thought process was you can't do what Steve did in the SEC when he came in in 1990, and he was just housing uh, <laughs> defensive coordinators yeah, all yeah. all over the SEC. It didn't matter who it was. He was rolling up all kinds of stuff, and they hated him for it. And then all of a sudden, they said, "We better do the same thing." <laughs> but um, and nowadays, I mean, I, I don't know if I don't know what else there is to invent. To be honest with you, it's kind of like Hollywood. You you run out of ideas. I, I mean, what offense can you? You're still only eleven guys on the field. You got to have seven guys on the line. What else are you going to do? I, I think it doesn't get enough attention because I think now, whereas we used to see the new and inventive offenses coming you know, from the college level, we see it at the pros now. And so it's not new when it makes its way to college. Uh, and, and it's more about sophistication, but I, I think what Steve Sarkeesian is doing at Alabama right now, Mike is revolutionary in a lot of ways. Uh, you wow. know, I, cause I, I look at what LSU did last year. It was the best one of the best offenses in college football history, but honestly, Mike Leach could have been dialing up all those plays with Joe Burrow, and it's basically the it's a mo- little tiny modified version of the air raid. But you you look at the RPO game that Sarkeesian's running, which has a lot of roots and things like what the Kansas City Chiefs do now, and you know the San Francisco 49ers. Um, and it's multiple. You know, it's not all five wide sets you know they use h-backs tight ends running backs throw them i mean uh and and it's tough difficult to de- defend because there's three different options on the same play um so so you're 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 combining all these concepts but i you know it's not going to get the credit that steve spurrier or lavelle edwards get because a lot of people try to do rpos and stuff but i i think what they're doing at alabama right now as if they needed to be doing something like this is is revolutionary offensively Uh, Before we get into the slate of games for uh, an expanded week of college football, I do want to remind you, and this is one of the few times I can literally say somebody out there, and a couple of you already have called Stuart Wingo and taken advantage of this, somebody out there is going to save thousands of dollars today by calling one simple number. He handles uh, your mortgages, new mortgages, refis all over the country. If you're saving uh, for a down payment to buy a new home, uh, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payments. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, exceptional service, just one guy to call. Stuart Wingo. Again, I don't know what else this guy offers to society. I've said this many times. I would tell him if, if he was right here, if he was joining us on this uh, Zoom podcast call, Stuart, uh, you're not the best looking guy in the world. You're not athletic. You're not charming. Uh, you're probably a good husband and a good dad, and I'll give you credit for that. But let's face it, your, your top contribution to society is saving people thousands of money on a new mortgage or a refi. So you folks take advantage of the one skill that Stuart Wingo does possess. Believe me, I've taken advantage of that skill a number of times over the years. 803-319-1777. That's 803-319-1777. You can also visit him online at amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. We have Big Ten football back, and I got to tell you, I am excited about it. Um, there's a funny, funny. Do you remember one of my favorite SNL skits? It's back when SNL was funny. Uh, now it's just basically full of vitriol and anger, and um, it's it's not real appealing. But but back when it was was people just trying to be funny for the sake of being funny. 
the Chris Farley, Patrick Swayze, Chippendale skit. Oh, of course I do. I mean, it's just for those, again, if you're under the age of, I don't know, 30, or if you're one of those people, I I don't watch a lot of television. I'm, I'm a reader. I just read. That's good. That's good for you. Um, but expand your horizons a little bit and go to YouTube and watch, just type in SNL Farley Chippendales. And it's basically a, a tryout for the final male strip joint uh, spot. And it's Patrick Swayze in his prime going out there all lean and mean. And then it's Chris Farley, who's probably about three and a half spins on the scale. And he's out there and there's just jiggling all this blubber everywhere. But he's but he can dance. He can move. He's rocking it. And, of course, the judges are having a hard time picking between the two. So if you watch, there's a video out there where <laughs> over Swayze's head is the SEC logo. And over Farley's head is the Big Ten logo. <laughs> and you can just kind of take it from them. I mean, you've seen a lot of these already. Mm-hmm. It, it's, 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 it's fun. It's playful. It's creative. Nobody gets hurt, but in all honesty, we love the sec around here, but I am glad to see the, the big 10 back. I, I'm glad that we, the, the big 10 should have been playing football a while ago. There's no need to rehash that. Uh, what was, whatever was botched a while back. It, it's now going to come to fruition, no matter what this uh, Saturday and we've got some games, including Ohio State, the one team from the Big Ten that actually has a chance of the playoff in most people's uh, estimation. They play uh, Nebraska at home. You've, you've got, uh, I mean, well, you've got, you've got everybody on the, the docket here. I'm trying to think specifically of, uh, you got Illinois at Wisconsin. Friday night, Illini football, man. Yeah, Penn State at Indiana. Uh, the made the, the game of the night on uh, ESPN, Michigan and Minnesota. That's actually two top twenty-five teams going at it. So good to have the Big Ten back. I'm not going to go knee deep in any of the games specifically. I'm just glad that we're we're almost all the way back. Rutgers, Michigan State's interesting because it's the the Greg Schiano part two uh, <laughs> against Mel Tucker uh, up in East Lansing. Um, you don't often hear the adjective "interesting" associated with Rutgers. You think these guys that put the schedule together is like they were fine? Like, all right, we need a schedule now. All right, Nebraska, Ohio State, you two are playing each other. Period. Right out the gate. I don't think there's any question because those are those are the two that were complaining the most. You know, like yeah. we're just going to make you guys play. Well, I, I think they really. I think uh, there are a lot of people that that came to the conference commissioner's defense. And they, they, it's almost as if they took it personally. Yeah. I don't know why, uh, because the conference commissioner uh, took heat as any conference commissioner that would have handled it that way would have taken criticism, but they were they're, they're, They were projecting their anger at Nebraska. So they were, Oh, well, what has Nebraska ever done? Uh, they, they, ever since they got the big 10, they haven't done anything. And Scott Frost, he's an idiot. Like, okay. Yeah. First of all, not entirely true. Secondly, not the freaking point. Okay, no. if you want to, if you want to do that bait and switch, uh, look, if if I just lay the blame on Nebraska, then nobody will look at the fact that <laughs> our leadership here completely bungled this whole thing. No, 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 no. People are not that stupid. Okay, Nebraska, you ought to be thanking Nebraska. You ought to be thanking those programs that complained, those ads, those coaches, those mayors, those governor, whoever it was that actually said this is wrong. We should be playing. You ought to be thanking them, and I'm thanking them, and I'm thankful that we have Big Ten football back. 
Yeah, uh, Minnesota, Michigan. Uh, just a quick word on that. I, uh, Minnesota could win that one and keep the the rowing the row the boat thing going. Um, they had about six inches of snow in Minneapolis this week, so you're going to have an opener with uh, some some chilly weather uh, in the Big Ten, which is to be expected because it's late October. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. Um, SEC. What game are you looking for? What, what's what's must see TV for JC Sherbert this Saturday? Well, obviously, South Carolina and LSU. Just because, like I, I, we were talking earlier, Mike. I, I just I don't want to be a homer. Uh, I, I, I went looking for reasons why LSU was, you know, should win the game, and I'm looking through it, and I'm I'm like, oh, well, they're 20th in run defense in the country, and so then I look and I break it down. They have Mississippi State to nine rushing yards because Mississippi State didn't even throw it. Vandy went for a buck fifty-three. Missouri went for a buck eighty against that defense. Uh, they're 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 not that good. You know, South Carolina doesn't light it up on offense, but they could stay on the field. Uh, and then South Carolina's defense, I think, with 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 Miles Brennan being out, and by all accounts, he is. You know, South Carolina's defense has an advantage against you know a good LSU offense because I I just don't know. Number one, LSU doesn't run the ball all that well. And number two, I, I don't know how they're going to get the ball to Marshall and and those guys enough with issues at quarterback. Um, so so I, I'm curious about that. You know, does Kentucky have a letdown at Missouri or does the big blue defensive machine keep on rolling? I think Kentucky wins. Um, Alabama at Tennessee, can Tennessee show some signs of life? I know their fans are sick of this because – a lot of Tennessee fans I talked to after the two and zero start were like, "We're going to be ready for Alabama this year." You know, we're because that's an old rival. People don't understand how big of a rivalry that used to be. Um, and and here we are, the same old, same old. Vols are two and two, kind of limping into the game, and Bama's rolling. Uh, and then Auburn at Ole Miss. If Auburn loses this game, Mike, somebody could get fired. Uh, and I, I don't think it's necessarily Gus Malzahn and maybe not even Chad Morris, but somebody could get fired. You know Auburn, I know Auburn. You lose this game at Ole Miss, somebody could get fired. That's all I'm going to say. It, it, it would get real nasty in a hurry. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, you can't super, lose Super this. nasty in a hurry. Because they, they all kind of were thinking when they were going to fire Gus last time that they were probably going, let's just hire Lane Kiffin and let him mess with Saban. And you know that was that was kind of the word going around down in Auburn. You know, oh, we just go hire. Well, then, well, now Kiffin's at Ole Miss, and you go lose to Lane Kiffin. I mean, you you have taken Ole Miss's coach before when you when you took Tuberville, but mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. I just I think that would that'd be some salt in the wounds. And thank God they need to thank the SEC for keeping them from losing to Arkansas because it probably would be really ugly right now had it not been for that win. Yeah. Uh, you know, Alabama, Tennessee is the three thirty CBS game, but I mean, do it is every year. I know, I know, and and I get it. Uh, it's 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 history. Although I I I I always said if I was doing a talk show in Knoxville, I would just one week let everybody vote. Would do you want to keep Alabama as a permanent opponent? And I'd be very curious what the results are on that because it, yeah, yeah. I don't think you're getting the best out of that deal. You know, <laughs> not just, right now. You know, and, and, and it's kind of crazy, Mike, because for a long time, Tennessee. I think you'd ask Alabama people, well, we don't want to play Tennessee every year because you know, former sort of uh, beat them, right? Uh, and and the one thing Saban's done is completely turn that thing on its head. 
I mean, they Alabama has never lost it. Saban has never lost. He's 13 and 0 against the Vols. There's been two close games. One was when Kiffin was at Tennessee and they blocked Alabama blocked the field goal. And then in 2015, Butch Jones, I think this was one of Butch's better teams. They kind of had them on the ropes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alabama ended up coming back and winning late. But other than that, it hadn't even been close. Right. I mean, it was 58 to 21 last time they played. Not, That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's great. You, you look at the logos and it makes for a great marquee, but these have not been particularly fun games to watch. Uh, it, it's just been a, a complete lopsided rivalry here of late. I'll tell you what, I, I'll be, I'll be watching a lot of games. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be watching Kentucky, Missouri, a game you mentioned, I, I want to see this Connor Basilak kid. Is it Basilak or Basilak? I think it's Basilak, right? Basilak. Um, Connor Basilak. You're saying it's Basilak. Bez, Basil, Basilak. Basilak. It's B-A-Z, so it's got to be at yeah. or at. It is. It's Baz. Well, I'll figure it out by uh, the 31st because I'm doing the game when they play Florida. <laughs> yeah, figure that <laughs> but, one out, Mike. But uh, but he's a he's a freshman out of at a Dayton, Ohio, and I, I haven't seen a ton of his work. But the people that I talk to that have seen him, they rave about this kid. I, I mean, they they really believe they got something special in him. So. I want to see how he looks against that Kentucky defense. Listen, four-star guy uh-huh. out of Ohio was going to go to Kentucky. You know, if you're Kentucky, you're sitting there going, Jeez. heck, we could have had Connor Basilak and Mac Jones, you know, because they had Mac Jones committed. Um, you know, and, and, but never, ever, 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 never, ever, never underestimate the lower rated quarterback out of Kentucky that Ohio state passes on. Number one, there's a crap load of guys like that that have gone to other big 10 schools and done well. But number two, you're talking about Joe Burrow. You're talking about Mitch Trubisky falls into that category. And now you got this kid. And Oh, by the way, the last time Missouri had a good quarterback, I think for my money was Matty Mock, who also was from Ohio. And kind of an underrated guy. So never, never kind of, never underestimate the lower rated kid from Ohio that doesn't necessarily get the Ohio State offer. Very well said. Uh, and we were not, we're not going to underestimate the importance of ending this podcast before we get yeah, good Lord. This been, we, we, we should not have talked about how long it was at the <laughs> This is now a new record. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Tell, as we wrap up, tell the folks how they can sign up if they haven't already. Yeah. Okay. And so I want to thank, uh, I want to thank several people, but not, not a bunch. I'm not going to, this is not the Oscar Oscars or anything, but uh, if you go on to Apple pods, uh, and I, I want to thank you, Tom. Thank you, Gamecock fan one. Thank you, Nanks in Pennsylvania. Uh, all they left us five star ratings. Love you in PA. Uh, yeah, I love it in PA. Um, it's, it's, it's one guy goes from PA says best podcast on college football hands down, and it's not even close. I love that man. BD Texas Creeper five six one five six one. That's Palm Beach County, man. Hey. So there you go. Back um, in my old hood. The old hood. So everybody's like, JC and Mike avoid hype and hot takes. Like, that is you. true. 
but yeah, just it's not a hot take hype machine that we run here. Nah, but see, so what you do is you go and, and, and some of you listen, but don't subscribe. It doesn't cost anything to subscribe on Apple pods or Google play or Stitcher. Just hit the button and it notifies you. Uh, if you're not on Apple pods and you could possibly get there, borrow your girlfriend's iPhone, whatever you got to do, go rate us, <laughs> go rate us five stars and write a little review. We get ranked higher and we certainly appreciate everybody that's done that. Uh, we're also on Stitcher and, um, <coughs> excuse me, I swallowed the wrong way. Stitcher, uh, we're on iHeartRadio, and coming soon, uh, we'll be on Audible and uh, and Alexa, Amazon, Amazon Alexa. You know, so you can say, Alexa, give me a JC and Morgan, and she'll be like, I am now playing the JC and Morgan podcast. Oh, I like that. Yeah, so that'll be cool. That's coming soon. I shouldn't have said that because the Alexa came on on the wall now. She's like, bartender, give me a JC and Morgan. Give me a nice cold, nothing like a nice cold JC and Morgan. So <laughs> we are, we are uh, expanding our portfolio week by week. And we thank all of you for that. We thank you for uh, hanging with us for record time here on this. We had a lot to say, it just kind of flowed today. Uh, we're expecting Danny Cannell to join us next week. You love him. You hate him. You, you have an opinion on him? I've known Danny for a while. We're going to have him address, a, does he really hate the SEC, or is that a little bit of an act? We'll, we'll talk to him about some of that stuff and other stuff as well. He's down there in the he's down there in the 954. I think he's down in Broward County mm. now. So we'll, nice. uh, we'll chat with Danny, who's never short on opinions, next week. Uh, enjoyed it. JC, have a great week. All right. And, uh, everybody out there, have a great weekend as well. We'll talk to you next week. For JC, it's Mike. So long.